The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O oh, Sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. Good morning. Uh, let me be one of the first to wish you all a, a happy Independence Day and a safe Independence Day. Uh, I'm glad you're here to worship with us today. I've, my name's Joe, if we haven't gotten the chance to meet before, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the wonderful privilege of serving our students, and it is a true privilege. So uh, I'm excited for what we're talking about today. Uh, that video obviously felt like it, it got cut off, right? And the reason why is because I wanted to leave kind of some space and some tension between, you know, sometimes you can read a passage in the Bible and you could just breeze right through it and you miss kind of some of the tension and the conflict and, and some of what the characters were feeling. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But I got to tell you that that passage that was just read comes from Ezekiel 37, from one of the most famous stories uh, in the book of Ezekiel. But honestly, it's really weird. It's like super weird, <laughs> but um, on, it really impacted my life at a, at a very interesting point. You see, when I was in college, I happened to take a, a teaching, preaching, uh, and communication class. And the class had this infamous final project where the professor would take the whole class to a nearby cemetery, and he would have you choose, each student choose a random tombstone, whatever one he wanted, and then you had to deliver a gospel message in such a way where the bones came back to life, to pass. Just kidding about the passing part, because obviously none of us brought anyone back to life. But the point of his message was he had us each stand in front of our tombstone, deliver a gospel presentation, and nothing happened. And nothing happened. And nothing happened. And then he got to mine, and mine, the rock started to tumble a little bit. Mine was pretty good, but. <laughs> no, honestly, nothing happened. And then he, he opened up to Ezekiel 37 and read it for us. And it changed the whole game for me. Because his point wasn't, his point wasn't like you're delivering persuasive speeches, and so this is how you construct it, and if you do it right, then you'll change people's lives. His point was you could do everything right, and apart from the Spirit of God working in people's lives, it will do nothing. And his point was our goal 
in ministry, our goal as the church is not to have the best programs or do everything right. Our goal is, is to have God literally bring people back from the dead. And then it hit me, we're in a totally different ballgame. Like, I'm not trying to make well-behaved teenagers. I'm trying to help teenagers encounter the Spirit of God in such a way that they come back to life. And it's interesting because we can talk about that, but it's another thing when you see it. And I, and I just think back to a point in my life where uh, one of my jobs right out of high school, I, I became a camp counselor. I worked as a cabin leader for a Christian summer camp up near Seattle. And while I was there, one of my first few summers working there, uh, we had our high school camp. And we're, we're greeting all the students as they're getting dropped off by their parents. And one of the students that got dropped off, um, let's just say uh, he walked out of his car and I was like, I wanted to say, get back in and keep going. And he, he came out of his car and he was the guy that had like, he's 15 years old and he had tattoos that he did himself with like a Bic pen. And like, this is the kind of guy that you do not want your daughter to bring home to you. <laughs> like, and he literally uh, was talking to the other high schoolers about the craziest stuff. For example, he, he talked to one of them. He, like, I just overheard this conversation where he was like, well, if you ever get rear-ended in a fender bender, make sure you don't tell anyone you're okay. Make sure you hold your neck and act like you're in serious pain because you'll get a better payout that way. And I'm just like, what 15-year-old talks like this? <laughs> And this all bubbled up and culminated in this one experience where we were playing a camp game. It was a game called Fat Bat. By the way, we're bringing it back for this summer camp here at Kesed. But uh, if you don't know what Fat Bat is, uh, it's just baseball and blob tag, or blob tag, if you've ever played that, mixed with swimming pools. That's all I'll say about it. If you don't know what it is, it, it takes, too ever, takes too long to explain. But in the middle of the game, Jordan is, the, the student with all the tattoos, is pitching to the batter, and, he, and he's pitching, and he's trying to, like, strike him out. He's, like, trying to throw curveballs with one of those, like, 25-cent inflatable balls. And we keep telling him, there's no strikeouts in this game. You're, like, try, you want him to hit it, like, but he keeps, like, 14 pitches in. He's still throwing curveballs, and the kid at the plate is getting so angry, to the point where he throws the bat down and, and like kind of almost charges the mound a little bit. And, and they're like face to face right now. And I'm just sitting there like 19 year old, like 19 years old, just thinking to myself, one, I'm not getting paid enough for this. <laughs> Two, they didn't, they didn't teach us how to handle this in staff training or in Bible college. So what do you do? And next thing you know, it's getting so heated to the point where Jordan just decks the kid in the face. And I saw it like in like slow motion. And it looked like Mike Tyson in his prime. Like just hit him and the kid just like wobbles back and then falls backwards on the grass. Thankfully, our, our camp director was right there and he saw the whole thing and he just like sprung into action. And, and he yelled at Jordan in that moment. And maybe rightfully so, by the way, like you can't go around punching people. But he yelled this, he was like, what is wrong with you? Go back to your cabin now. And so Jordan like just like stomps his way, just swearing the whole way back to his cabin. The, the rest of the camp staff are helping the kid who got punched, you know, making sure he's okay and walking him back to the camp nurse. And I'm left there 
and I felt this little nudge to go check on Jordan, which I wish God didn't do that because I was scared of Jordan. <laughs> and, I, and I walk towards his cabin and I, I do a soft little, just a soft little knock and I open the door and I see this 15-year-old kid with one of the most hardened, rough and tough exteriors I've ever seen, weeping in his hands. And he picked his head up and he said, are you guys gonna send me home too? When my professor in college was reading us the passage from Ezekiel 37, that story with Jordan is what came to my mind. Because I think a lot of us think we're in the game of changing people's behavior and behavior modification. And, and we end up thinking God just does these small things like that. He makes people behave. And I just remember thinking, God's not in the business of behavior modification. He's in the business of raising people from the dead. And he's in the business of transforming lives. That's the business we're in. And that Jordan story is where it hit me. And so I wanna show you the passage today from Ezekiel chapter 37 that Jay had read for us at that cemetery because I want to remind us that we're in a much different game than we think we're in. And we think a lot physically, we think a, a, a ton about how programs and people and behaviors work, rightfully so. But I think God's working on a whole other level of something vastly more spiritual and he's in the business of raising people from the dead. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Ezekiel chapter 37? And we'll begin in verse one. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a little background on Ezekiel. I love Ezekiel as a character. I think he's one of the most human characters in the Bible. You see, Ezekiel was one of the latter prophets in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. And he was a guy who um, ended up coming into his ministry at one of the most unique times in history. You see, he was a part of, of God's people, this small little nation that can fit in the state of Washington eight times, this nation known as Israel. And this, out of this small nation, God was gonna bless the whole world through this coming king. And the point was, is that if these people had maintained a, a strong relationship with the Lord under this old covenant, they would be blessed. And if they didn't, then God would remove his blessing. And so as time went on and as kingdom and dynasty kept moving forward, the people kept moving farther and farther away from the Lord to the point where in 605 BC, God allowed this large empire known as the Babylonians or what is modern day Iraq to come over 500 miles and capture Judah. And they ended up enslaving and capturing all of the nobility and religious people and marching them back to Babylon, taking them away from everything they knew. And so we begin Ezekiel's story right as he turns 30 years old. But the thing about it is, is he's actually a part of a priestly family and he would be able to begin his priestly ministry right when he turns 30. That's his dream job. That's what he grew up dreaming about. That's the family business. And instead he's waking up in slavery, 500 miles from his home. 
And he's so human because how many of us wake up one day and we're like, this is not what I thought life was gonna be. Maybe you woke up at, at 22 and you graduated from college and you were expecting to have your dream job and instead you're still at home with your parents waiting for your life to begin. Maybe for you, you're, you're 30 and you thought marriage and kids were gonna be a lot easier and instead you feel like your hair has fallen out. <laughs> Maybe for some of us, you, you were like, I thought my marriage would go a lot smoother and instead it's been full of conflict and strife and my life is not where I wanted it to be. Regardless of the circumstances, we all get that experience where you wake up one day and you're like, life is not what I thought it was supposed to be. And that's where we meet Ezekiel in his story because God's like, hey, I know you were, you're wanting to be a priest, I'm gonna make you a prophet. And it's a different role. A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf, a message given by God. And so he's like, but you're not gonna like the stuff that you prophesy. It's gonna be a lot of depressing, dark stuff, like how your home 500 miles away, yeah, not only did you get taken from it, but everything is gonna get wiped out, all of it the temple you love, the church building basically burned to the ground. The palace, all of these things that represent God's promises are gonna be in ashes. And when we talk about the exile, by the way, it's really easy to talk about it in very sterile terms. But when we read it in our, in our Bibles, I think it's better to read it in the same way we view the Holocaust, with that level of trauma and heartache and heartbreak. And Ezekiel's really rare because he's, one of the, he's the only prophet that we know of, unless you consider Daniel a prophet, who actually goes to Babylon. The rest of the, his, his peers die. And so he's in Babylon and God tells him all these hard things that are gonna happen. But right around chapter 33, it changes. And it becomes, you know those ashes that I brought? I'm gonna start transforming them into something beautiful. And we get, to, we get to begin to see the glimpse of hope. And it's beautiful. And by the way, the Lord, as I, I, this morning, has just really impressed this on my heart. And I just want to tell you, if you're like Ezekiel this morning, and you're sitting here, and you're like, this is not where I thought my life was going to end up, I want to tell you, the story is not over. It's not over. It's not the end, and there's a reason you still have breath in your lungs, and there's a reason you still have a heart beating in your chest. The story is not finished. And as Ezekiel so beautifully demonstrates, God wants to write something so much more beautiful in your story that's coming. And ultimately, we get chapter 37. So if you turn in your Bibles there, we're gonna hop into verse one, otherwise it's on the screen. Beginning in verse one, the hand of the Lord was upon me, so God takes Ezekiel by the hand and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. So just a quick little aside here for um, me to nerd out. Uh, most prophets in the Bible, again, they're mouthpieces for God. They hear the message and then deliver it. Ezekiel is so unbelievably and beautifully rare in this way. He doesn't just hear the message, 
He gets to see it. And it's very different, right? Because when I talk to you about life change, it's one thing for me to tell you the story of someone who's been risen from the dead. It's another thing for you to see it, right? And you, you could, when you see it, you're like, there's no other way because that person is different and there's no explanation. But when we talk about it, it's just like, yeah, I guess. But when you see it, it's a whole other ballgame. God is allowing Ezekiel to see it. But later on in chapter 37, God will tell Ezekiel that this whole vision he's getting here is a metaphor for all the hopelessness, death, desolation, crushed dreams that Ezekiel and his people are feeling. And I just want to say really quick, I know for a lot of people in here, you have a valley of dry bones in your life. Every person here. Uh, I'm sure for some of us, maybe you're a, a teenager right now and you went through COVID and you went through being in, in complete isolation, disconnected from your friends, burdened with anxiety and depression that honestly, myself and your parents and the older generations have no idea how to deal with it. For some of us in here, we're, our valley of dry bones is that we have a relationship with our adult kids that feels like it's dying. And every interaction feels like we're getting pushed farther and farther away. Maybe for you, your valley of dry bones was the, is your marriage. And every day it feels like it's getting closer and closer to that death. Everyone here has a valley of dry bones. It's that part of your life that you just look at and you're like, this is not what I wanted it to be. And for you, if it's dead, it feels hopeless. That's what Ezekiel's feeling. And by the way, when he describes uh, the, the, the crushed hopes here, when he describes the metaphor of the dry bones is very dry, the idea there is that it, this is beyond hopeless. Because it's not even that these are dead bodies that you could just bring back to life. It's that they're literal bones, they've decomposed. This is beyond hopeless. Can I tell you guys a time where I felt beyond hopeless? It was uh, when I was in third grade, um, I was in an elementary school where I got teased for having bushier than normal eyebrows, you know, um, which is a very weird thing for elementary schoolers to make fun of, but they're good at it. <laughs> and, and so that night I went home and I made a plan. I was like, I'm going to fix this. And so, you know, when you go to the barber and they have clippers and they like shave your head and it's like the perfect length. It's like, my barber just did that. It's like, it was awesome. I thought that that's how Bic razors worked on as well. That like when you'd go over a patch of hair, it would be the perfect length. So I looked in the mirror with this Bic razor. I was looking myself dead straight in the eyes and went, And I didn't realize that like the bit game is much more of a scorched earth technique. <laughs> so, and I look in the mirror and my eyebrow is gone. And so I thought maybe if I do the other side, no one would notice. <laughs> so I grabbed the razor and and this time it only left like a couple little patches of hair. And I didn't, again, third grade Joe's 
pretty dumb, but I forgot that I have jet black eyebrows. Of course they're going to notice. And so the kids in my class, when I went back to school, started calling me E.T. <laughs> but I don't know, for me, I would go in front of the mirror every morning and like, look for glimpses of hope that my eyebrows would start coming back. And I, by the way, don't do that at home because your eyebrows take forever to grow back. <laughs> and day after day after day after day, I'd check in the mirror to see very little eyebrow growth. And the thing is, is for a lot of us, we've been checking day after day after day for any signs of life. And it feels dead. Henry David Thoreau has this famous quote that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. That is that most of us lead, lead our lives in such a way where we look like we're fine on the outside, but inside we're dying. Our relationships feel like they're dying. So we really relate to Ezekiel. And what I love is notice what God asks him in verse three. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? One, feels like a really dumb question. Two, God never asks a question in the Bible that he doesn't already know the answer to. It kind of comes in the, the, with the territory of being God, right? He knows everything. So he's asking this for Ezekiel's benefit. And by the way, I think God is still asking the same question today to you and to me, even if we don't know if we believe in God, even if we're like, I hate everything that Christianity or the church stands for. Even if we've been following Jesus for decades, I think this is the core question he's asking you is, can the dead things in your life live? And Ezekiel's response is perfect. This is like totally, this would be my response. And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. It's like, why are you asking me? This is a, this is, this is backwards. I'm supposed to ask you the question. And notice what God says to him in verse four. Then he said to me, prophesy, that is be my mouthpiece for this message I'm gonna give you. Prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. For Ezekiel, this would have reminded him of the creation story in Genesis 2 when God creates humanity and forms him and her and breathes the breath of life into them. But the thing is, is we don't have very many stories of God doing that to people who are dead. And so Ezekiel's like, okay, this is the message you want me to tell them? You haven't done this before. But notice in verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And that's the core point here is Ezekiel has such a deep connection with the Lord, even in all of his hurt, even in all of his frustration, even in all of his angst. 
even in his times where he's angry at God. And by the way, if you read the rest of the book of Ezekiel, he has a lot to be frustrated with God about. But he still does it. And notice what happens. And as I prophesied, notice it literally there, in the process, as I was in the middle of speaking, there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So again, this is the, the pattern of the Genesis creation story. But two questions I just wanna posit for you really quick is, is one, God could do all of this in an instant, right? God, with a thought, could raise all these guys and, could, could, and, and, and raise every single dead bone here and literally could breathe the breath of life in them like that. No questions asked, no messages, nothing. If he wanted to. So the question I want to ask you is why doesn't he? Why doesn't he? Have you ever thought about that? If God could do it like that, why doesn't he? And why, it feels a little bit to me like God is just having Ezekiel be a middleman. <laughs> why? And so in verse nine, God continues. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath and breathe on these slain that they may live. Two things that might've just tripped us up there. One, son of man, that's like the title for Jesus. Why is Ezekiel called that? But in, in like particularly in the ancient Near East, but in the Bible, when you see that, that word son of, it's very similar to how when someone wins the Miss America pageant, we call them Miss America. But a thousand years from now, it's not like someone's gonna look at that person and say their last name was America or they were married to America, right? Basically by calling that person Miss America, we're saying they embody all that it means to be an American, right? They're the ideal American. They're really not, but that's the point. When you see son of, as in Jesus calls James and John the sons of thunder, when you see son of, it really means that they embody all that it is to be man. Or when Jesus calls himself the son of God, it's not that God had a baby, it's that he embodies all that it is to be God. And so, son of man is Ezekiel's most common name in this book. And the point is, is because he, he's living out of his humanity. He's a guy with crushed dreams and crushed hopes. And his only hope is the spirit of God. The second thing is, what the heck is the deal with the breath? And one I'll say is that breath and spirit are the same words in Hebrew. So when you see breath and spirit becomes a metaphor for this idea of the breath and spirit are used interchangeably. It's this inner life force. But Ezekiel's hope here for really raising people to life is not just putting bodies back together, but it's God's spirit. That's our hope. 
That's our hope. Like literally, we could put on the best church services and we can have the best hot dogs for our barbecues and we can do the funnest stuff and dump as much money as we want into things. And the thing is, is it will still not result in the life change we long for because our hope for that is the Spirit of God. And so in verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me again, that deep connection with the Lord, you see it repeated, and the breath came into them and they lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Only one that's not used for battle because at this point in the book of Ezekiel, there's no more war, but an army that gets to live out the fact that we were dead and we're back to life. This whole vision, this, and, and right after this, God will tell Ezekiel that this whole vision was a metaphor for Israel and his dashed hopes. All the promises that they thought were gone, how they thought the end, this was the end of their story. And the point of this vision was God was saying, this is not the end of the story. It's not. And if you have a breath in your lungs and a, and a heart beating in your chest, there's more to this story to be written. And the message will be a message of lives coming back from the dead. When I saw Jordan in his cabin crying into his hands, again, this 15-year-old kid who was willing to punch someone in the face over a silly camp game. I walked in there and I was like, what do you say? And I I guess let me just ask you, what would you say? Just as you're sitting there in your mind and in your heart, what would you say to that kid who's asking, are you going to send me home too? Because everyone else has. This kid who's weeping because his dad left and he spent his whole life trying to be tough, cool, popular, just so that way he could be worthy of someone's love. And everything he does is out of a response to not being hurt again. What would you say to that kid? The 19-year-old version of me wanted to say, hey, make sure you just keep your hands where I could see them. I did it. <laughs> and I don't know why, because I didn't have any of the right words, I, no training on any of this. I went and just sat down and I put my arm around him. And this part of the memory is really like vivid in my mind because he flinched. And I... I don't remember anything I actually said. I think the gist of what I said was, I believe in a God where every breath is a second chance. And he doesn't judge you on what you've done, but on what you will do. I didn't have the language for it at 19, but looking back, I now understand that's because we're not in the business of changing people's behavior. We're in the business of bringing people back to life. And I know for each person here, we're, we have something dead in our lives. And I think God's looking at our church here at Kesset and he's saying we have a lot in our community that's dead. And he's inviting us to bring it back to life. 
And I'm so excited about what God's doing here because I'm sensing the rumblings under the surface of, of this very thing, of people who are willing just to stand up on the edge of that cliff like Ezekiel and just saying, I don't know what this is gonna do, but I'm just gonna be me and all my humanness and I'm gonna watch the Spirit of God come from all over the place and start to bring things back to life. I sense it in the fact that we have 80 kids coming to our vacation Bible, awesome. 80 kids who didn't get to learn how to make friends because for three years they were, they were isolated. And we get the chance to say, well, some of us step up, stand on the edge of that cliff and just say, hey, I'm just gonna be my, me and I'm gonna share this message that God's put on my heart and I'm just gonna love them and watch God bring them back to life. Maybe for some of us, we, we feel the, the, the call, we recognize that we see teenagers in our church longing for connection and belonging. And yet, their, their whole world right now is anxiety and depression. It's rampant. And it makes sense because they didn't get to have people. And maybe you feel God calling you to say, I can step up on the edge of that cliff at summer camp. And th those several dozen students I can love and talk to and be an ear for. And you might get to be a part of God bringing people back to life. Maybe for you, it's not church-related, but maybe for you, it is stepping up in your marriage and saying, I'm gonna go to counseling. Maybe for you, it is saying, I'm gonna reach out to that neighbor. Maybe, for, I don't know what it is, but I know Ezekiel did these two things. One, he showed up. He showed up, God literally brought him by the hand, but he was available for this vision. He was available. God walked him through all these dead things happening in his life the metaphor of all the death, and God walked him through bone by bone. Could you imagine how depressing that is? But he showed up. And then the second thing is, is he knew what God was commanding him. And he was willing to do what God was compelling him to do. And we all get this, we feel the nudges, we feel it when God is like that, that urge to say, I need to go say hi to that person or I need to text that person and let them know I'm praying for them. Or my coworker told me about some financial problems and I feel an urge to help. It's just we're really good at ignoring it. But Ezekiel is like, I'm, I'm not gonna ignore it. And he gets to be a part of this beautiful story of bringing dead bones back to life. And I think that's what God wants to do with us in our church. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. We're gonna get kind of weird, okay? Just in closing, is that okay? I think we have that kind of relationship now, right? Okay, can you close your eyes? And I want you to raise your hands in a position of, of surrender. Just palms up in the air, just raise your hands. And I want you to picture in your head when I brought up the, the vision, the valley of those dry bones, those dead bones. They were a metaphor for Ezekiel, but there are dead bones in your life. There's a valley of dead bones in your life and your story, and I don't know what they are, but you do. 
And I want you to visualize that God meets you there. He's walking you by the hand through that valley. And he's asking you, can these bones live? Can they live? And your response is probably, Lord, you're the one that knows. And I want you to visualize that he begins bringing them back to life. But instead of doing it just in a moment, just in an instant, he invites you to be a part of the process. Because the thing is, is God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to bring bones back to life, but he wants you. And he says, do it with me. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are in the business of bringing dead bones back to life, not transforming behavior, not not just trying to make people nicer or more good, but making people new. And Lord, I just thank you that we can be a part of a church, Lord, that is, that's just all we want to do is stand up on the cliff, give the message you gave us, give the humanity you gave us, and then watch your spirit begin to bring people back to life. And so that's what we pray for today. And God, all of us in here have stories where, where we have dry bones, we have valleys of them. And I pray, Lord, that, that you would begin to use us in our humanity, in our message, in our story to bring them back to life. Not because you need us, but because you want us. Not because you could do it in an instant, which you could, but because you want us to be a part of the process. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's check out the rest of that video. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones. The skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, Speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the sovereign love says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again. 
and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. We sent Jordan at the end of camp. He stayed till the end of camp. We walked him to his mom's car. And I see this kid who's not crying out of grief or rejection, but his eyes fill with tears. And he just says, thank you for allowing me to stay. And his life was transformed. Not because anything I I said or anyone else said, but because we're a part of the game of God bringing people back to life. And if you see the things he posts on Facebook today, they're beautiful. So full of hope and meaning, and that's the game we're in. So will you stand to your feet for closing prayer? Because I think I just want to pray to the God who is inviting us to be a part of the process of bringing people back to life. Um, two things. That process could start today by just showing up like you did. And you may have noticed we have our hot dog fundraiser outside. And camp is one of those things where uh, there's a lot of students who cannot come to camp because they can't afford it. And the thing is, is it's such a tragedy because they miss the life change. And I've seen it over my 15 years in ministry, dozens if not hundreds of students' lives changed. And so we wanna be a part of a church that says, we never want money to be the reason someone can't come to camp. So go enjoy a hot dog outside, show up, and it might, it might be one little step towards people coming back to life. Connect with each other, enjoy the, the semi-nice weather, and, uh, and it'll be a great opportunity to see God be a part of that story of continuing to raise dead bones. Let's pray. Father, I just say thank you, Lord, for, uh, for the fact that that's what we're about. We're about bringing people back to life. And the thing is, Lord, as we don't bring much, like Ezekiel didn't bring much, except himself. And yet, Lord, your spirit is so amazing and is our hope that your spirit would work in and through us so that way he would continue to work all around us and beyond us for something so much bigger than ourselves. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you next weekend.